Welcome back to the Project Delta podcast, where we discuss our off-seasons. Uh, Peter, it's been a minute since we chatted. Have you been? I have been well, and I waited for this moment to open up my beer so I can have that, that <laughs> yeah. noise. Wonderful. Um, I've been good. Um, ever since uh, I got off of my mini cut, or eh, maybe it's like a moderate cut, because I wasn't super, super fast rate. Um, but when I, I kind of got off of that and got back into kind of like a, just more focused on training and then um, gaining again, I was um, really revitalized with my training. So for the most part, I've been really uh, doing quite a bit more in terms of like longer sessions, more training, more volume, uh, intensity has been there. I never really lost the intensity uh, in the sets that I was doing, but I would finish my, uh, my like day's work. Um, like after I did like a few different exercises, but now I'm getting through, uh, I think I said this last time as well, but I'm really getting through the whole plan session. So getting all the, the movements in, feeling really good about the volume that I'm doing for each of the different exercises. Um, and so it's, it's been really good to get back into it. And then nutrition is, is going well as well. I feel like I'm, uh, for the most part on like six out of seven days or seven or sorry, out of, or like. I don't know, 13 out of 14 days, I'm really right on. And I'm really happy with that. Uh, and kind of like my, in terms of like hitting my targets, um, being pretty good with my food selection and stuff like that. Yesterday was, was one of the days where I was like, you know what? I had a long day, just going to order some pizza with, with uh, Caitlin. We split a pizza and some like brownies from Pop John's. It was nice. It was relaxed. My weight's up today, big surprise, but I'm not worried about it. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where I've been in like a lump sum of what has been going on. Uh, and we'll get into more detail with Connor. How are you? How have things been? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I don't have a lot of um, positive, I guess, things to report on the training and dieting front. It's been a bit of a, I'd say like maybe complicated formula to kind of get to the next step in physique development for me at this stage. Um, just for a few, a few different reasons. Um, one, like I find my daily calories need to be so high that it's almost been uh, troublesome in a logistic manner of just getting it all prepared and eaten uh, within the day without like, obviously if I wanted to ignore everything in life, it could be done, but I'm trying to do that a little bit less now and just be you know present in everything that's going on around me. So um, it's been a bit of a difficult feat to like get in like say like 4,000 daily calories and there's definitely been many days where I've just kind of missed out on that amount so my weight has been like fairly stable the last little bit like I'm still at like um, 200 201 in that ballpark and it, it's it's tough because like I do really to see the weight come on it does need to be a consistent run of like 4,000 calorie days in, in a row and that has been tough although I find eating it isn't that bad. It's just finding the time to eat it and prepare it uh, that I'm falling down on a little bit. Um, compounding with that as well too, I've been having some intermittent issues with insomnia, which uh, has been kind of uh, thrown, you know, uh, th you know, made it just more difficult to, to train like I normally would be. So that's been something to navigate. And as well too, I feel like my routine I've been doing has just gotten a little bit stale. So I'm looking to to change things up and looking for kind of like a fresh start. I haven't put in any ideas down yet, but I definitely feel like I need to take, take some time and kind of figure out a different approach that I think is going to work for me. Um, and I'm really looking forward to um, looking at maybe a few new exercises and just kind of resetting all my form, making sure everything is really, really clean repetition execution and just kind of finding uh, a new beginning and try and build off that and try and build some momentum. So uh, I don't feel like I've progressed that much in the last maybe month or so, but I'm hoping I can uh, turn things around in, in the future. So that's kind of um, where I've been at. Speaking of not progressed much in the last month or so, um, I said this in the ATP chat, and I don't know if you were around for this particular conversation, uh, but I was talking to, uh, I think it was James and, and Jacob, but we, <laughs> I, I found my, like, I was, it was just like a day and I was just like, you know what? I wonder what my bicep diameter is today, or at least mid-arm. So, like, it's not really bicep, but it is, you know, half. Oh, my white skin on my white window—you can't see in this video. Um, anyway, 
I'm too pale for this video to to show what my my arms look like. But I was like, you know what? I'm gonna measure it. So I I got my my arm measurement and I pulled up my notes uh, in my my iPhone notes and I looked at what kind of like I want to go put it in. I was like, cool. It is you know 15 inches, not a pump day because like I don't ever measure my arms or anything I'm measuring. I don't measure it on a day. I just got a pump uh, just so that way I like know my baseline. Um, anyway, and I was like, cool. All right. 15 inch biceps, you know, I'm not afraid to say that on, on webcam because it is disappointing anyway. Um, so I looked at it and in January, when I first weighed 158 pounds coming up from contest, they were 15 inches. So, uh, between January and August, uh, I weighed 158 both of those times. Cause I went up, continued to go up, did a mini cut. And I had exactly the same size arms uh, to to the inch. And there is measurement error in there. So like, it's still like a measuring tape with a little like spring in it that retracts it. It's like those um, body girth um, measuring tapes that they give you at doctors or um, like at fitness conventions where they're like, hey, this is how you measure stuff. But I was just like, God damn it. <laughs> I, wanted, yeah. I wanted anything to be different, just enough to round up. So it's like, all this work, really focusing on long muscle lengths, doing a lot more volume, putting it front and like first in my workout and, you know, nothing. I don't know if it's nothing, but it felt like it when I measured it that mm. day. The moment I looked at it and I saw my my data from seven months earlier, it hurt. It hurt, Connor. Yeah. I think mine is about the same as it was last off season at this body weight. Like I'd have to re-measure. Um, some of my bicep training performance was actually one of the things that was a little bit better over the last few weeks. I was able to progress on some of those movements. Um, maybe I'm just getting better at like flinging the weight up, but. Um, uh, Knowing you, I, I doubt that's a huge part. <laughs> um, yeah, but my, mine have been fairly steady. Like I think I'm usually up to about 17 inches in, the off season at 200 pounds. And then it's something like 16 pre-contest or something like that around there. But I think we were talking about that in the group chat and then James showed us all up and he's like, yeah, mine are 17 and a half or 18 or whatever it was. And I was like, damn, I thought I was have, have, the, have, the, have, the, have the biggest measurement, but no. <laughs> damn, yeah. I missed that. That's, that's actually yeah. Damn impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so just looking, I'm looking to get uh, back in the, back in the swing of things and um, I think the, the form reset, uh, for a lot of things is going to be important for me, especially for movements like my chest. Like I just, uh, I, I find that's one of the most frustrating body parts for me to train is chest because, um, I'm really looking to make progressions. Like I train everything else to have more of a progressive overload mindset, but I find it's very easy for me to get trapped and to kind of diminish the stimulus on my chest by like, say bouncing out of the bottom or just like, I, I think on like, like, like something like a free weight press or even a machine press, like if you don't spend as if you, if you spend less time at that bottom position and you don't really pause, I feel like you're getting, I'm getting less stimulus on the chest. And, but I try and like, you know, since we're trying to progress week to week, it's kind of one of those things where you start really good week one. And then by week six, you know, it's starting to get a little bit sketchy because you're just trying to progress so hard. And I think that's something that I need to re um, evaluate is just kind of mm -hmm. my mindset going into each time I do a chest training movement. And I don't think it's, I, you could apply this to your whole body if you wanted to, but I don't think for me, it's the biggest deal. Cause I feel like everything else progresses like, okay. If I just kind of don't micromanage my form and execution, whereas chest has just been really tough for me over the last few years, but I haven't seen a lot of progression um, in that area in terms of like strength, strength, um, and also in like muscle appearance, I haven't really noticed a big difference over the last few years. So um, that's one thing I just want to kind of just at least try and remind myself, like, you know, when I go into the gym to train chest, you know, maybe I'll have like an RAR count for each set in mind, but I'll just focus more on form and try not to think about the numbers so much. And like, if they rise up, that's great. But, you know, if I try and push them too hard, I just end up getting a worse stimulus. And then like, even if I'm progressing on paper, it's really not muscle progression it's just like you just learn to kind of fling the weight from week one to week six better uh so that's something like i fall victim to quite frequently mm -hmm. over my whole training career and it's just something i was kind of consciously aware of the other day when i just like went for like an all-out like amrap type set and got like 
didn't get any sort of progression on it and felt like the form was like pretty bad. So I was like, well, I got to kind of take a deep breath and kind of regroup here and kind of evaluate my approach on some of my pressing. So um, that will be something to, to look at in this next training block, I guess. Does that also include movements that give less room for variation in technique like chest presses or like that also includes those movements or are you thinking more like bench decline dumbbell that nemesis bar stuff like that i would say i would say all of the above i would say even on the chest press machine i prefer to do it pause in the bottom and -hmm. even though it's pretty stable and it's pretty easy to get the motion i want and like obviously like it, the machine's fixed. So you're getting that pattern, no matter what you know, the, the way the handles are moving, it's the way your body's moving for the most part. So, uh, but I still find it's just a better stimulus if I just make sure I pause at the bottom. And I think, I think it makes sense because like your pecs are pretty strong under the bottom. And then as you kind of push up, they lose a little bit of leverage um, just as the weight goes up and you're getting away from the rib cage as, as the weight moves away. So um, I think that's, that's something I just need to, need to dial back and uh kind of just uh lift more maturely than than anything else but most of my other stuff i find i i I can it's it doesn't seem to bother me like i don't like perseverate over the fact i'm not getting progress because everything else seems to like when it when nutrition and sleep and training is on point i feel like i make okay progress with like most other muscle groups like fairly predictable but uh the upper body pressing is the tough one for me Hmm. okay um one thing like just because you mentioned specifically the um, like progressive overload, um, just like having that. And, and I've got this sound bite in the past where like, I, I say, I don't care about PRs anymore. And <laughs> it's funny because my, my chest work this last, this off season has been entirely focused on um, feeling the stretch and the length and position. And like, it's, it's really the only movement where I'm, hyper-focused on feeling as much tension as I can in the lengthened position. And I'm not really paying attention to the load per se, as long as I'm reaching. Basically, um, I'm trying to go to basically full failure uh, with each set with my chest press, as long as I'm feeling that deep stretch and tension uh, at the bottom. And I'm going just slow enough where I don't feel like I'm going so slow that I'm limiting my number of reps by fatigue uh, and that's like my own my only internal cues for uh for my incline chest press and i've really been loving that um because like i'm not trying to get a new pr like it's not about um increasing the weight it's all about kind of that not quite my my muscle connection not quite um like peak contraction um it, it's just really feeling the muscle and i've i've really felt um, for the first time in my life, really in tune with my pec development. Um, and so that's something I've been really loving. And I like need to try to do it in other places. I've been kind of like titrating it into my uh, lat work and my delt work, but I can't figure out how to get that to work for biceps. It's just, I'm not as in tune. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's funny. You mentioned the sound clip of like the PRs and I had the sound clip about don't focus on sensation and they almost sound like competing ideas, but really what I was just trying to say with that is like, don't focus on like exercises that are sensation driven. Like an example might be like the squeeze dumbbell press where you have the the dumbbells together and you squeeze up like that, even though it's like, it's probably okay, but I feel like it's getting sold for like the wrong reasons. It's like, this is where you feel your chest work and feeling is the best, but like, I think you're kind of like reducing the amount of tension you could put if you're doing like kind of like a chintzy, like, like almost like Instagram, you know, Instagrammable movement like that. Like that's all I was really trying to say with that. Like, I do, when I lift, I do try to think of like where the muscle is inserting um, and where, like how it's shortening and where the force is applied to it. And I do try and like lean into that motion and feel the muscles work, but I'm not ranking movements on like the most heightened sensation is the best. But if I can find something where I can feel it work and I feel like there's good tension and I have good control over it, that's a movement I'm going to gravitate towards too versus something that just has like a really maybe hard contraction in the end range that generates a lot of like sensation. Cause like when you get a muscle fully shortened, that's where like the highest, I think, sensory input comes back that the muscles being worked very hard, right. At its end contractile range. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I would just try and prefer something that's like getting me more tension per rep 
um, with like something that gets maybe a little bit more lengthened or maybe there's more tension in that lengthened position. Um, but I still want some end range resistance if I can get it like a chest press machine that converges or even just a dumbbell press where you can converge a little bit and there's still some tension, mm -hmm. you know, against adduction uh, coming across just, you know, even, even, even if it's not as perfect as like a machine or a fly or something, just a little a bit of attention in there um, seems to work pretty well, but, but yeah, it's just, for me, I think it's going to be a matter of just trying to like, you know, come into the gym and do a great job of training chest every time and try not to weigh myself down that I'm not like making huge PRs every week. And I think once I get the eating back in order, I will see those slow progressions happening, but I still want to make sure I'm just getting, doing my best job when I'm coming in the gym to like, you know, give my best training stimulus and not getting lost in the numbers or like chasing numbers for any particular reason. Cause I think bodybuilders fall into that and it, it it's a good idea to try and progress, but I think we're all kind of looking for a sense of reassurance that we're gaining muscle um, with those numbers. And that's really what we're looking for rather than getting a good training stimulus. And it takes a really mature individual to kind of bridge that gap between the two kind of competing ideas, I guess. Uh, so it's still something I struggle with. I'm not perfect, but I definitely can recognize when I've done a poor job uh, over the last little bit. And like, I, I like to correct that and try and optimize it, you know, when I recognize it's happening. So I think that's all we can do, right? We're never going to be 100% mm -hmm. perfect and we're never going to be progressing, you know, up and up and up. So um, that's just kind of my internal dialogue on, on that. It might, it might be a minute since we've talked about it, but you, you've mentioned, you know, uh, progressing and whatnot, but what, what sort of, what it, for you for chess is your ideal or your expected progression do you do like a double progression with weight and reps and you just like keep hitting the same weight at that reps rep range or what what is the target that you're hoping for and then like what you're hitting if that if you don't mind it it, it depends it depends on like how much volume i'm doing in a given block like but usually i will try and do a double progression if I'm doing multiple sets. So if I'm doing multiple sets of an exercise, I will try and a lot of times I'll try, if I have three sets of a movement, I'll try and trace my performance from last week on sets one and two. And then maybe on the third set, I try and progress it. Or maybe I try and progress the second and third set and trace the first one back uh, and just try and make like probably a progression in repetitions and not wait most weeks. And then maybe every if things are going really well, I might make a weight progression by like week five or something. But if I'm, let's say I'm in the 10 to 12 rep range, I might try and go 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 11, 10, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11. Or like if, it, if it's going really well, maybe I can add two reps. Maybe it's 10, 10, 12, 10, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12 uh, with, with the same weight. Uh, and I'll, I'll try and lock that in, uh, in terms of like, just being um, being consistent with the loading I'm doing and not trying to jump all over the place with that and just try and keep it very steady to try and see if progress is happening basically. Um, so that's, I say double progression is, is typical. Um, if I'm not doing multiple sets, like maybe I'm just doing a set to failure or something, uh, I might just try and see a rep progression here and there. And I might um, like micro load. I have some, I haven't used them in a while, but I have like these magnetic plates and I have those little, the bezel steel half pound plates, uh, I can use if I, if I want to. So, um, I try and, um, I try and, I guess I try and mostly base it off of the amount of sets. Like I, I think a pretty standard programming strategy for me is three sets of like, of a, a given rep range and have an RAR of two, the first set, one, the second set and to failure on the last one, if it's a safe movement to fail on. Like a machine chest press, for example, would be a good one. Uh, that makes that sense. Example. Yeah. Um, I, I should probably take a cue from that because I've been going, like I, I mentioned with my chest press, I'm going to basically failure. And at the end of each set, I'm like, all right, I need to get, I need to get these dumbbells to my to my thighs, not the floor. Get them to my thighs, not the floor. Because like <laughs> I'm there, I'd gone to failure. I'm like, come on, I just need to pulse them up and then bring them down in my legs so I don't drop them. Because I've got the bone, uh, bow, uh, the Bowflex 90s. Yeah. So like, you don't want to drop those yeah. <laughs> anyway, that, but yeah. that That's one of the movements that I find I can't really train to failure and keep it in the chest and keep it like I can, I, it's, it sounds so weird to say, keep it in the chest. That's not really what I mean. Um, I mean, when I approach failure on say a dumbbell press, I can't keep my elbows in the position that I want them to be in 
they tend mm. to flare out on the last rep and it gets really ugly. So that's one that if it's in the rotation, I'm not planning to train those ones to failure if I'm doing a dumbbell press. Cause I find it's with the instability of it. I just seem to like it, like the last rep feels like a lot of anterior delt and tricep. It's almost like my chest got fully exhausted from reps one to nine. And then that 10th failure rep, just like it went somewhere else due, the, due to the instability. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, Do you find the same? It, it used to happen when I was, uh, when I was focusing more on that for strength, going to failure for strength, because I would, I, the, the important thing for me was to finish the rep. Um, but since I'm, I'm relying entirely on the sensation of that stretch, mm. it, it doesn't really allow me the wiggle room to move my positioning or I, or I just straight up don't feel the same stretch. Um, gotcha. So like by, by the nature of what my internal cueing is, I'm, I'm basically forcing myself into not a narrow uh, range of motion, but a um, fairly controlled direction uh, where each, each, like everything is moving pretty consistently. Mm. Um, and then having the benefit of being able to do uh, length and partials at the end um, to kind of get a little bit more volume in that, in that range, um, allows me to keep my, my elbows from drifting into weird flares or not as well. That, that's been pretty, yeah. I find it very hard. Like I'm, I, sometimes I wonder is like a solution for me just doing more submaximal work and just trying to like reinforce that form and like, just not allow myself to go into those, those end, end reps. And like, does that like over time, if I get good enough at that, can I actually keep the position I want and have it go to failure and still have the right positioning? Or is it just like, this is just like what my body does because like, it's the way it's designed to work. And this is like, I can't, I can try and fight it, but it's, it's just always going to be like that. But um, like, I, but I, for those, some of those reasons, I drift towards more of the stabilized movements if I have access to them, like, mm -hmm. like chest press machines or um, these aren't, totally stable but like like a standing cable fly or something like that i find works like that those i feel like i can keep um reps from first rep to the failure rep pretty good in terms of like the motion but dumbbell pressing one is a hard one for me even some like if i want to spit machine press it's hard to for me to avoid the flaring it's really a lot of conscious cueing and i took some video footage of some dumbbell presses too and even if i got into like a heavier loading range like a six to seven rep range I would tend to flare and it really, it's really hard for me to not do that. Like I'm really fighting myself hard to, to keep it there, which is why, like I said, tend to, tend to gravitate no, towards you, one of the stable environments. You yeah. mentioned that. Um, that's why I don't do bench, uh, barbell bench. Um, Cause I find that because I have so much history of training that in a way that is to optimize the movement, not the like sensation, not the hypertrophy. Um, I have, I have a long history of that where, once a bar gets heavy, it turns into an anterior delt and tricep movement. Yeah. I, yeah, I, totally. I, I have been unable to untrain that. So I, I just avoid it for, for this because, because I have very little experience with dumbbells. So I'm able to really just focus on turning it into a movement that from the beginning is only what I had intended because I, I came into that movement as an experienced as an experienced lifter being able to be like, all right, the only thing I know is going to be the right thing for this movement, for how I want this movement to be. So I think I kind of lucked out in that I just never trained it before, or at least infrequently enough that I had no movement patterns that were ingrained in any way, just like I could start from the bottom up. Uh, yeah. So I think that might be why this works well for me for incline dumbbell press, where if I tried it with bent, uh, bent or sorry, barbell press, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the same luck. Yeah. Do you find with the muscle groups that are harder for you to grow, you tend to obsess more about exercise selection and just spend more time in it because you're like, I, I know for me, I've like spent a lot of time trying to think about my chest training and be like, why is it such a hard muscle group for me to grow? Like what's going on here, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, like, 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 but then the other muscle groups, like say my quads or um, uh, like quads or delts, it's like, I'm not too fussed about it. I'm like, I, I feel like those are decent body parts. So I don't really spend a whole lot of time worrying. I can, I can break them down and think about how they're different biomechanically or whatever, if, if I want to, but I'm just like, yeah, they'll, they'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, almost the same for me. Um, yeah. in, like with quads, like, you know, if I want bigger quads, I can squat. If I want bigger quads, I can leg extension. 
because no matter what I do for my legs, my quads are going to do well with it. It, I don't have to focus really hard. I don't have to micromanage it. Um, even if I do a really like hip focused low bar squat for powerlifting and I'm really sore in like my posterior, my legs still grow from it just because, or my quads still grow from it. So I very much agree that if I'm going to micromanage anything, it's going to be the things that I'm not good at. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's that's kind of like one of the ideas I had in my head. I was like, you know, if you're trying to refine yourself as a physique athlete uh, and you're trying to work on execution and all of a sudden you change everything you're doing, um, I feel like it's quite difficult to like relearn everything at once if there's if there's holes. Like if you just want to focus on like one to like one to two muscle groups that you want to progress on and just really like spend the time in your head working on those, that's probably a decent idea because, you know, probably you have some muscle groups that grow pretty easily and probably you have some ones that need a little bit more attention. So like, like, like for me, I'm not going to overstress about anything else, but I'm just going to try and refine this chest stuff, you know, keep working on that, but everything else should, should be fine. And I think like, that's a pretty practical suggestion for a lot of people is like, you know, just, just like look at your physique, see what you need to work on. And just like, you don't need to change your whole program necessarily um, or change your whole approach. Um, like, for my delts for the past little while, I've only been doing two sets per week of medial delt raises. And I think they look the same, you know, they look, they look fine. It's just a cable behind the body lateral raise. Um, I was still making a few progressions on them here and there. Um, and that's, I feel like I, that muscle group is developed. It doesn't need a lot of volume or attention or like attention to detail with what I'm doing, but other things I think do. Um, so <laughs> just trying to strike that balance of like where to spend my head space on if I'm going to spend time thinking about training during the day. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a limited resource. Um, like, I mean, you can, I guess, stay up and think about it, but for the most part, yeah. I mean, you want to spend your mental resources where it's going to be, we're going to get the most return like anything else. So yeah, just giving yourself the, um, the permission, I guess, to not focus on everything at once, everything all at once, then you can really, one, have a, just a better general, like, life by having less focus on it, uh, and really just be able to kind of spend the time on the things that are actually going to make a greater endpoint, in greater impact. So, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Let's see. I had a couple other quick topics before we move into our sure. our conversation thing. Um, let me pull it up. Let's see. Oh yeah, I've been trialing out some uh, alternative leg day movements. Um, I've been interested in training my sartorius a little bit more directly. And it's funny after talking to you guys about it like a month or so ago and trialing some movements. Uh, Alberto posted. Uh, he's trying to figure out a a sartorius movement as well i think like a his foot cupped or through the um, handle of a um, kettlebell um, i'm using a, a strap to do sort of a gumshoe sort of movement um, with a low cable and i've actually been really enjoying that because i i feel like um, the sartorius is uh, an awesome muscle for the leg uh, it's something that on me presents pretty well already um, but I think if I make it pop even more, it would just be even more obvious on stage. So since I have one that is already present on stage quite nicely, I think if I can accentuate that and make that a more of a an eye drawing space for myself, so that like I draw the attention of a like a crowd of judges, then maybe I can get their attention for other things like conditioning, other spots. So if anything that draws eyes is going to be worthwhile. Uh, so that's kind of something I've been wanting to do uh, to work on that. I just want to make sure that the, the movement that I pick is loaded in a way, in a rep range, in a way that allows me to not put too much uh, bat. I don't know if this is the right word. Hopefully um, the PTs and ATP don't give me shit. Uh, so then I'm not putting a, a bad amount of torque onto the knee in the directions that is not necessarily ideal, um, like rotational torque or just like uh, sideways, like, like you would get from cutting improperly, um, in terms of like an athletic, uh, cutting direction. Uh, as long as I'm not doing that with a load, then I, I'm happy. But so far I've been doing kind of moderate to low loads with a little bit higher reps, like 15 to 20. 
and I've been feeling pretty comfortable with that. I think that's been been working pretty well in terms of um, my my legs feel stable, my knees don't feel strained or any niggles or whatever. So anyway, that's the thing you, I'm trying, and I like it. Do, do you feel a, a sartorius pump when you're done? Like, can you definitely tell you're getting getting into it? Like, not at all. I, I'm just hoping for the best right now. Yeah. I, I think that's, I've thought about how to train that before and I had different people give me different answers on it. I, I asked, um, I can't remember the guy's name, Ben, Ben Goings or Goings. Anyways, uh, he's an old school natural pro. Um, uh, Alberta used to talk about him sometimes, but anyway, he had a very defined tutorial. So I asked him about it and he, I try to remember some of the answers he gave me, but I never found a movement that directly like made that, like made anatomical sense for what I know about that muscle. So I'm kind mm -hmm. of in the dark about how to actually train it directly. Like I know the movement you're referring to. Um, it yeah. makes sense. And but... I should, I guess, elucidate for the other people or at least explain, I guess. Um, so the sartorius, uh, you can technically train it using a lying leg curl. Um, I don't really, I'm going to be honest, I don't know how that works. Mm. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really familiar with that use of the muscle. Because um, yeah. as far as I've been aware, uh, because it it attaches anterior uh, on the pelvis um and it also goes to the inside of your knee roughly so it crosses your leg and it when you're sitting if you are sitting there and you're like is there gum on my shoe and you rotate your leg in a way that allows you to look at the bottom of your shoe that is the sartorius doing its job um, so it's that rotation um mm. it's actually how it was named sartorius i think is related to uh like a, a word that means shoemaker and that was the position that shoemakers were in to work on like shoes just to, like to just to do their work um i could be wrong but i'm pretty confident in that naming convention um but anyway so that i basically was just like well how can i re add resistance to that movement and i was like oh, i'll just put a cable and and the hip and um uh god what is it called uh, anyway, and I, I loop that cable around my leg using a Velcro attachment, whatever that's called. Uh, and that's been working pretty well. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. And so that's my new experiment. My my older experiment was to see if I could get um, more chest development by doing the um, the pec minor exercises, aka um, just protraction. Yeah, protraction uh, of the shoulder or my scapula. And actually, I feel pretty confident that I've gotten some good growth. Uh, in the chest between that and between just doing good chest work. Because um, I mentioned earlier just a little bit ago about how my, my bicep growth was uh, measured at zero, which is wonderful. Uh, anyway, and I thought to myself, well, let's, let's measure something that I've also been focused on, um, encompasses a couple muscle groups and is a larger muscle group. Therefore, if there is a difference, there will be less noise from the same measurement error, presumably. So I did the chest measurement, which is from like nipple to nipple, and then across the back as well, which is sort of a measure of back, aka lat development, as well as pec development. Um, and I was able to see, I think, either an inch or an inch and a half uh, of increase in like total girth me measurement for that area um, across similar body weight. So I'm actually very, very pleased with that. Um, if that means I grew some some pec muscle or some back muscle or a little bit of both i could not be more pleased with this off season yeah i remember um john meadows used to have an exercise called like a, a pec minor dip um it's not something i've played around with too much i like i know exactly what you're talking about but it's not something i haven't really implemented like maybe it's some maybe for me it's worth worth giving a shot um when you did it, did you train it first in a session or, or, or last or what, what was I, your... I have been training it last. I didn't want sure. to train it first, um, even though it is a priority for me. I didn't want to train it first because I, I wasn't sure how robust the muscle is. So I didn't want to bring it towards higher levels of fatigue and then do a heavy bench and mm -hmm. risk, I don't know, risk messing that that joint up a little bit. Um, so I, I wanted to do all of my main, very heavy work first and then use that because it's a very short muscle range. So I have to load it quite heavily. Um, so I've like my, most of my chest work is like in the 160 range, which is rather low. Um, but when I'm loading up for the pec minor, just the protractions, I've got 285 on the bar. 
for that. And I just, I, I was worried that I might be overloading the tissues uh, if I did it in the reverse order. Uh, and gotcha. so I've been having it kind of near the end of my workout. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll throw those in the next uh, training block and see how, see how they get along. Yeah, um, give the, it a go. The, there was the odd time I was doing um, some protractions at the end of like a cable fly, just like really trying to push it down here. Um, like kind of like implementing like serratus and um, back minor kind of pushing down like that. Um, and then it's, a, it's definitely like, did you get sore from it? Like I, I found when I did it, I could, I could feel it was like sore underneath a little bit. Did you a have much? Bit. Um, I've done yeah. some uh, serratus anterior because uh, that is also involved in protraction. Um, uh, actually on my Instagram, I think I have a saved reel or saved thing where it kind of goes through my, um, in serratus anterior movement. Um, and that used to get me quite sore. Um, and I'm, I still really like that movement though. I'm not emphasizing it right now. Uh, as far as pec minor, I don't, I don't know if I've developed a, a true soreness from that movement yet. Gotcha. Cool. Are you keeping them in the program? Yep. Yep. They're going to be in the program until next season. Uh, I just want to I'm, I'm fully committed to seeing how it goes. And because one of my main critiques was not that I had a small chest. It's this, just that my upper chest would disappear in a lot of my posing. So mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, all right. Well, one, I'll improve posing, give that a go. Uh, two, I'll see if maybe adding some pec minor and doing some slight incline work will help with that like clavicular head development, as well as popping that out more by developing the muscle underneath. I don't have a lot of stock that developing a like, a muscle underneath or superficial superficial yeah, anyway. yeah I, I know what you mean yeah yeah developing the muscle underneath will necessarily drive that muscle to be more present on the top theoretically it makes sense but i don't know if functionally right you have enough room to develop that muscle to make a visual difference but i'm trying right. it anyway yeah I, I guess to explain to listeners if they're not aware like you have your pec major which is like what people would mostly think of when they think of pecs because that's what you see like you know like uh, like that's what is you see as like the the part that's like striated that has all the detail on stage and then underneath is the pec monitor that has like a little bit of a different shape that would potentially if you developed it would kind of push things and push things you know yeah. out against the rib cage and it's a much thinner muscle instead of being the large fan like that is kind of like if you put your palm on your sternum and have your middle finger and your thumb like across your like clavicle and then like your middle finger, yeah, is that your deltoid? You, the pec kind of goes, goes in that direction. Whereas like, if you're trying to think of the pec minor and you like, it's basically just your pointer finger and your ring finger going to the shoulder um, from kind of that position. It's a much more narrow band. So it's not a big muscle yeah. to begin with. I know, I know the example that people use uh, to explain the same kind of idea is like the brachialis. If you develop that, it pushes the bicep out more. Um, mm -hmm. my experience with that is it like, didn't really pan out for me in that sense, but like, cause I used to follow the John Meadows advice of doing like hammer curls first to train, um, uh, like brachialis more, uh, and it did get me thick brachialis and it did make my arms look good, um, down by my sides, but I don't think it developed much of the actual like bicep, long head, short head that, um, I, I mean, it did, it did just not, not as good as su supinated variations basically. Um, for me at least, but definitely like it definitely thickened up the rate break break Alice. And that looks good in some specific bodybuilding shots for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I really like that. The breaky Alice and brachioradialis quite a bit. Um, I, I think I've mentioned this in the group, uh, the HB chat quite a few times. I love that look. One of my original motivations for bodybuilding was, uh, Kane Zimbat. Yeah. Timberwolf, um, is like his back double by. Um, one of his shots in like body space, his, like his bicep, his brachioradialis and his brachialis, like all three of those are pristinely visible. And I remember thinking that is what I want to have in terms of arms. And so like, I've been doing reverse curls and hammer curls religiously for like a decade now. And I, I feel like it finally paid off the last bodybuilding season. My photos from when I was on muscle beach in the, in the sun, I, I did a, a, like some pull-ups on the one of the bars there. And I thought, damn, I finally got there. And then I was like, you know what? I want to see how I look like uh, compared to, you know, uh, Kane. And then I was like, oh shit, this was literally the same place he was doing those, those pull-ups. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It was like, it was the exact same bar. So it was just really, really cool. Um, Cause yeah. yeah, it's, it's muscle beach. People, people are there. 
Um, yeah. I didn't even think about that while I was there. It was, it was super cool. And if I make noises right now, it's because my dinner just showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's another bodybuilding pose where you wouldn't think like the, the brachialis would pay, play a role, but obviously in the back double bicep, when you're really lean, you can see definition between bicep, uh, brachialis and both heads of the tricep. So mm-hmm. it can, it can create a powerful, you know, thick appearance if that muscles develop. So, and that's personally one of my favorite exercises to do pretty contest when I'm really lean. It's just like a basic camera curl, uh, because I think it looks cool and I have ve- veiny forearms and my brachialis pops out. And I, I think I look pretty cool when I do them. So <laughs> that's one and, of my favorites. Yeah. And having that confidence matters for sure. That's right. Uh, do we want to move into our topic for the day? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so basically keeping on pace with the evidence-based community, we see this new study of, uh, you know, different, different lifters at a different, different rates of calorie surplus. Um, and basically, you know, if you want to, uh, I, I don't know if we're going to read the details of the study out, but basically all the evidence pointed to the slower surplus or like the 5% surplus being better than the 15% surplus because the muscle gain was about the same between both groups and the 15% surplus group gained more body fat. And it was just kind of interesting to see everyone kind of come out and talk about this in, at the same time. Uh, so we figured we'd touch on it. So Peter, do you have any thoughts on the, the study and you know what your experiences are with, with bulking? Um, yeah, I, I haven't had a great time to real or a lot of time to really dive into it. And I'm not sure if it's fully available. Um, I think it's still in like preprint um, just kind of with some, some like summaries that Eric uh, Helms was able to kind of like send out with a, a reel. Um, but my first, I've got a couple of thoughts and I, I think we're referring to it as like a, a normal bulk and then the dreamer bulk approach. And I think what I noticed from the takeaway is that, you know, there is benefit to having a surplus and that having too high of a surplus may elicit too much body fat. And my, my thought is, well, I don't think anyone ever thought that a bigger surplus wasn't going to yield more body fat. The eat big, get big, like dream more bulk approach was always, hey, I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm checking all of the boxes with minimal effort by having an excellent surplus. In this study, I think that is uh, 15% surplus or more. Um, so basically, the, the idea behind the dreamer bulk is I'm going to leave nothing, nothing to chance that I'm not getting enough intake and that I don't have to micromanage that intake by hitting exact numbers. And so it's, it's minimally uh, invasive on the lifestyle, except that you're eating like, you know, a pizza uh, every day or olive oil over your pizza, Who, whoever, you know wants to do do that but the eat eat really big to get bigger was never really the the fat gain was never really part of the equation in terms of like well you're just going to put on muscle it's you're going to put on both but you won't believe how much muscle you put on um yeah i think i think it was overhyped how much muscle you're going to put on um at the end of it you always feel absolutely huge um but ultimately um, maintaining the muscle you put on uh, during a cut later on isn't really that hard. So if you do put on a fair amount of fat or a disproportionate amount of fat that you needed than what you needed to, to make an equivalent amount of muscle, I, I don't know if that is necessarily still a bad decision um, because it's, it's very easy to maintain muscle in a deficit. As long as you have a robust training stimulus and a, enough protein, I mean, there's a lot of approaches that work. You can just take many different dietary approaches. As long as those two things are fine, you're going to maintain most of your muscle. You're going to see a drop in total muscle mass uh, due to you know maybe less water and glycogen stored in the muscle acutely. Uh, but once you go back uh, to like a maintenance or a surplus, most people who are training in a relatively decent way with a moderate amount of intensity near failure in some way, they're able to keep that muscle on just fine. Um, so like kind of my thoughts with this is, I mean, it's not really going to change my specific recommendations in any way. I just like, you know, people who need to gain slower for, you know, mental reasons, uh, being like they, they want to track or, um, they've had issues with weight gain in the past and they need more control. 
just to feel like they have control over that weight gain. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep those people in a lower, uh, lower surplus. But if there's someone who's like, hey, I, I have a lot going on. I would need to put on muscle. I don't have a lot of time to micromanage these things. Then you know what? It, it might still be fine to put them in a big surplus and just be like, hey, it's just going to be more of a cut at the end, but I think you're going to be fine. That's kind of my quick uh, quick thoughts on without diving into the, the specific data, but like ultimately people who do dreamer bulk still put on quality muscle. So like, I, I don't see it as being a, um, a bad approach. Just, you know, you have to be aware that you're going to put on more fat than if you went slowly, yeah. which can be fine. Yeah. I think it's one of those things too, where um, I'm really glad they did this study and they tested it and they have these results because I don't know if a study like this was ever done before. And it, it seems like it makes sense. It's like, it's like fairly easy to conduct, you know, in terms of like um, the participants and having this, you know, varied approach in terms of like one group is in one surplus, one group is in another. Like to me, it, it was, I think it was a good idea to do it. Uh, so I give them props oh, yeah. for, I give them props for, for doing it. Uh, but like, then I think the unintended consequences of this information is then you might have a group of people trying to, to like really micromanage their surplus so much where they kind of fear that fat gain and don't really make any progress and spin their wheels because then there's no surplus or they're trying to ride the line of such a small surplus that it's like, it's very confusing if they are in a surplus or not. And it's like, it's one of those things where I don't really think you can have like this perfectly small time. That's surplus. It's like, it's just really difficult to do because there's so much energy fluctuation. And like, I think you're just better off catering to just eating a little bit more on a bulk, like more than you, more than you think you need to kind of make up for the fact that, you know, it might not, it might not be enough or some days might be at maintenance or because you might move more. I think it's just better to cater towards that uh, than it is to cater to eating less. And I feel like, no one who conducted the study is not saying to avoid surpluses. Like they're not trying to say that, but it can get misconstrued as that. And someone might pick it up. Like, you know, like someone like, like let's say someone like Greg Doucette, who's like against bulking or whatever. He's a big voice in the fitness industry. Like he might use that as like leverage to be like, you see that when you bulk, this, this happens, it's all stupid. And then, you know, he's, he's going to say what he's going to say no matter what, you know, which is fine. And I, I, I think his content is, is fun and enjoyable, but um I think if people are so fat phobic that they worry about this and they stress about it and they end up not even being in a surplus, then they make less gains overall, or they just, they can be more likely to spin their wheels or it just takes so, so long to get any sort of forward progress that, you know, it's just, you know, they kind of waste away their time. If you're a competitive bodybuilder and that's your off season, you just waste it, you know, you know, that's, that's a shame. So um, it's one of those things in the fitness industry that I've seen gone back and forth, like, you know, when I first uh, got on T Nation back in the day, the message was like, bulk up really hard. Don't worry about fat gain. Uh, then around, you know, 2013, the whole reverse diet thing was popular. Then it was like, stay as shredded as possible. Any, any weight you gain is probably going to be fat. So just don't even bother gaining weight. Just train hard and stay lean and don't really bulk. And then I feel like we're in a decent middle ground right now in terms of like what people, how people communicate this information. And lots of good examples of people's journeys where like they get maybe a certain amount of, of weight on in an off season um, and showing the progress that that has versus someone who maybe stays a little bit leaner and maybe they have their results. Um, you can see a lot of examples of people who did conduct their off season different ways. You can kind of, kind of look at that information yourself and make your own choice for what makes sense for you. But um, yeah, those are, those are my thoughts. It's one of those cyclical things where um, people get hung up on trying to perform be perfectly optimal. And then there's no really right or wrong answer. So whatever voices in the community say a certain thing or have mm -hmm. a certain appeal, it just tends to swing that way for a little bit. And then it comes right back. So, yeah. And I, I have a couple, I guess, more thoughts on it. One of them is anecdotal, like my experience with the dreamer bulk. And the other one is it, it might be legitimately answered by the data that's already been presented by the document uh, that I just haven't, like I said, I haven't gone in to dive into it. Um, one, I'm curious about if there is a like a follow-up study or if it was presented here, a difference between a spendthrift and a like thrifty metabolism for individuals. Because like someone who adapts very quickly to a surplus, they they might, like you mentioned, might rapidly no longer be in a surplus. So they might need to like be near that 15% because near the end of it, it that might not be a 15% surplus anymore. 
So I would like to see if we could tease um, like the data out in a way that shows that or have um, have people organized in a way that allows us to investigate that and in maybe a follow-up study. Um, but like I said, it might might exist in that data already. Um, the other thing I'm interested in with that is like, I mean, yeah, I know the the people got more uh, body fat in that group, but like, did, was was that group just, did they all gain muscle? Did they gain a little bit more muscle? Did they, was there an equal amount of people who did not gain any muscle as the group that um, had a smaller surplus? Um, but the only difference was that they gained more fat. Because um, I, I like that's interesting. I think that's practical, practical for people who are just like, hey, I don't want to micromanage as much. Um, but the, the thing that's anecdotal, um, I have done a dreamer bulk, and it was the uh, the GoMad uh, classic uh, starting strength slash Mark Ripto GoMad, uh, which was great for me because I was on a um, a school meal plan where I had unlimited meal plan. So basically, I just drank two pints of milk with every meal. Uh, the end of the day was a lot harder than the beginning of the day for digestive reasons and just the fact that it's a lot of milk. Um, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love milk. Um, I still drink as much milk as I possibly can just because I love it. Um, anyway, um, I I was really happy with my results of that first bulk. Um, I gained a lot of strength. I gained a lot of muscle. It was early in my lifting career, so I was well-primed to do both of those things. Um and at the end of it, I put on more muscle than, or more fat than I really needed to. Um, but I, I, I did not feel like I left any stones unturned in that, in that phase. Um, I got as strong as I wanted. I got uh, as much muscle as I, as I possibly could have. Even if my training was slightly better, I don't know if I would have put on much more muscle just because, you know, you can only put on so much muscle so fast. Uh, so at the end of it, I was very pleased. I had no regrets except for I had a longer cut ahead of me. Uh, now I take everything a lot more calculated, a lot more careful, a lot more of a um, moderate surplus. And every time I finish, I'm still thinking, I wonder if I had enough of a surplus. Did I make all of the gains that I could have? Should I have been more aggressive? Could I have been more aggressive? Um, so like I wouldn't do a dreamer bulk again, um, but I, I had no doubt and I still have no doubt that I did everything I could. Um, but now um, I'm a lot more, more calculated. I have a lot more knowledge, a lot more experience. Um, but I, I still wonder, am, am I too close? Am I too far? Um, could I have done more? Um, so that's something that I kind of like still deal with. Whereas like if I did a dreamer bulk, don't have to worry about that. I know I put everything into it. It's kind of a weird, kind of a weird dichotomy there. I always feel insecure when my off season ends too. Like I just didn't make enough progress or push hard enough. Um, I did find though, like I I've done a few pretty heavy bulks between long layoffs between contest seasons. Like I'd had a few contest seasons where I, it was three years between shows, mm -hmm. uh, 2013 to 2016, then 2016 to 2019 and then 2019 to 2022. So I had those, ones is in succession uh with three years apart and i all got pretty heavy uh the one 2019 between 2022 i didn't get quite as heavy i got i think it was 35 pounds or 37 pounds over stage weight and i thought that was pretty good like i felt like that was just as good as 45 to 50 pounds over stage weight it was roughly the same because i feel like my physique progressed the same amount um compared to the other few seasons uh off seasons and it was just a little bit more manageable to get the body fat off. But I mean, it wasn't impossible on the other, on the other preps either. It was just a little bit more dieting and more, um, had to be a little bit more, uh, difficult at maybe more difficult at the end, just because I'd been dieting for so long without many maintenance periods and diet breaks that it was a little bit more difficult at the end. But I found for me getting that 20% over stage weight, a little bit more, maybe, but not going to like, you know, 30, 30% over uh, was about right for me in terms of what, what works. And I think too, it's such, such a big part um, of how your off season goes too. like the surplus is important, but so is rest. And so is like having really good training and just uh, really good exercises for what your physique needs and just really good execution in the gym. I think those are all play a, play a big role too. Um, so 
uh, as although the surplus is probably the most important thing next to training, uh, those those other things are certainly quite quite important too. So I like I think you could potentially have you know you could have a year where you were in a big surplus, but if your training and recovery wasn't good due to like like lifestyle stuff, like it's probably a smaller surplus and better training is better. But you can make infinite amount of comparisons but across things like that because it's like muscle is so hard to gain that if you if you mess up in one area then it's you just kind of sunk right you kind of need to have all systems going pretty pretty steadily to get what you want right because it's yeah. so so hard so you need almost everything to be in a good spot all the time so yeah and this is one of those cases where you can't be like well all else the same one mm. is better than the other because there's two there's nothing is the same nothing is the same between people uh at least in terms of like it's not just the deficit or not just the surplus. There's so much more. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of highlight something you mentioned uh, just a second ago. Um, it, it could not be um, overstated that, you know, mental state and like kind of what is difficult for you uh, being more important than, you know, dreamer bulk or low, low surplus. If you really struggle with dieting, by no means should you go the dreamer bulk route doesn't sound like the best um i'm very fortunate in that dieting for the until like the digging phase for like shredded glutes everything up until then for me is not difficult so i i i can lean on a higher surplus get attaining more fat because i do not struggle with that part um so i i can i can come from that bias and admit that bias um, but if it's something you struggle with no don't don't even don't put on the excess body fat. That's not for you. Mm. And then too, you have your individual individuals on the other end of the spectrum who find it really hard to just eat a big surplus. Like someone like Steve Hall, like he gets, he gets digestive issues. And it sounds like for him, that big surplus actually really affects his recovery from training because he sounds like he has some issues with like sleep and digestion and just general life stress due to having to eat so much, which is almost kind of like, I'm not, quite there uh, i think i'm kind of rubbing up against it with everything i have going on in my life right now this amount is just kind of getting a little bit on the edge for me for how much i can i can do and um you know make 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 good progress or make optimal progress right so i think i'm a little bit on that cusp but that's the thing everyone's so different um in their experience of how they like like if they like to eat a lot of food if they don't like to eat a lot of food if they have digestive problems if they don't uh what their life stress is like versus you know um someone who has you know maybe less life stress you know um these are these are things that can yeah you know make affect your decisions with clients or affect your approach with different people i've got a strongman client who's a very big dude currently cutting at 5,200 calories and is a natural athlete as far oh. as I'm aware. Um, Cutting, wow. And still it's like, hey, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to add any more carbs to my meals. They're like really big. And I'm like, I don't know how you're losing weight, man, but you know what? Just don't, don't add the more carbs. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really insane with the, like what people, like that person simply, they're in a dieting phase um, and they've, you know, they came to me and they're like, Hey, I'm used to really eating an enormous amount of food. My only approach has been eat literally everything I can cut out all vegetables. So that way I can fit in more everything else. So I'm like, dude, we need to get you some fruits and vegetables first. Um, but anyway, so like for this person who is a very large person on a deficit, it's even hard for them to fill their meals out because it's still a large meal and digestion still comes into play for them. Yeah. That's wild to me. That's not yeah. something I, I personally can even fathom, but I know it exists. So he does olive oil on pizzas during his bulks then. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> wow. Right on. Yeah. I think that's, that's the whole thing. And it's a, uh, I mean, this might be actually one of our longer ones. No, seven, seven, eight. That's not too long. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we can close out though. Um, you know, uh, thanks for joining in to uh, everyone on the for this weekly podcast. Uh, if you have coaching degrees, bodybuilding, uh, strongman, rehab, powerlifting, hit up ATP. Uh, mental surely, health. Yeah, mental health. Yeah, that's right. Um, one of our coaches can definitely take care of you.
Indeed. And we thank you for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to go to uh, the ATP, uh, ATP Performance LLC. And uh, anyway, go there. Um, I don't type in the website very often, but do go there. Uh, check us out. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's also consultations um, and then uh, social media as well. I'm Surge of Strength, Surge underscore of underscore strength. Again, I don't type it in very often, so I'm not 100% sure. Connor, what's yours? How do I uh, follow you? Uh, on Instagram, Connor.SaintGene. Um, you'll find me. I'm my ATP picture. So <laughs> give, give me a follow if you're interested, if you like the content. Anyway, we are going to sign out. Uh, take care. Bye all.